The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. You know, we've had such a tremendous response to our past podcast and Facebook Live that dealt with family estrangement. As a mother, I know in my heart how painful rejection from any family member can feel, but it's especially, especially difficult and painful um, when these feelings are coming from your children. So in this episode, we're going to be discussing a situation or situations with our adult children that is a little different than that, but it's just as disconcerting. Our guest, Dr. Jane Adams, is the author of When Our Grown Kids Disappoint Us, Letting Go of Their Problems, Loving Them Anyway, and Getting On With Their Lives. Dr. Adams has spent over 20 years researching and reporting on how Americans live and work and how they respond to social change. She holds a PhD in social psychology, and she has appeared on every single major radio and television network. I want to read you a quote from a well-known author whose name I know you will recognize, Judith Forst. And she says, quote, Any parent dealing with difficult or disappointing adult children will feel profoundly understood and comforted by Jane Addams' wise words. How fortunate, how fortunate we are to be able to welcome Dr. Jane Addams to Caught Between Generations. Welcome, Dr. Adams. So, Dr. Adams, 85% of college graduates return home. I mean, what what is the reason for this change? They really like their parents, and they like living with them, and their parents like having them there. And, you know, that's a testament to the changing relationship between the generations. Um, It doesn't always work. Sometimes it works well. Sometimes the kids are coming home between jobs, between love affairs, between marriages even, um, and looking for a place to kind of reboot and start again. And so our job as parents isn't necessarily over the day they graduate from college or the day they leave home. It continues for many years thereafter. I think that's an interesting perspective that the that the parents, you know, want are happy that the children have returned home. I mean, do you think that they're happy that they've returned home if they're returning home for a short period of time, like, you know, two yeah. months until they find yeah. a house. Yeah. I mean, what if what if they move in for yeah. a year? I mean, do you think... Well, if they move in for a year, if they're there for more than, say, a summer between school and a job or, you know, whatever. 
But they're there before then, and they're moving in with their cats or dogs and clothes and whatever. Then you need to have a talk about what their expectations are, how long they're going to be there, um, what the ground rules are, uh, what you can do to help them move out on their own, and in the meantime, um, to make it a better situation for all of you. And that means setting new boundaries, new roles, and new rules. But it has to be done pretty much when they move in or before they move in. We're love, glad to see you, darling. Um, how long are you planning to stay, and what's the reason? Okay. And that's the beginning so- of the conversation. So do you think um, we've moved into a redefinition of the family life cycle? Yes, absolutely. There's this whole um, cycle, of, not cycle, there's a whole new life stage called emerging adulthood that kind of didn't exist two generations ago. Um, the baby boomers couldn't wait to get out of their parents' homes. First of all, it was the only place they could have sex. You know, they couldn't have sex under their parents' roof. Um, and in fact they started coming home again in the 80s for short periods of time and then longer periods of time and um, because the baby boomers are the parents now they wanted a different kind of relationship than they had with their parents they wanted an intimate authentic ongoing relationship in a way our parents wanted to see us out and settled and independent and we had a different sense, baby boomers had a different sense of what independence means than they or their kids have today. There's financial independence, which goes on to some extent, till most kids are, you know, close to 30, and sometimes longer. Um, and the purse strings get tighter, and the, as the kids get more able to um, function themselves, there's emotional dependence, which are the kids that are not ready to make a decision regardless of your disapproval. That's really emotional independence. I've you know, I, when we get back in, in talking about financial independence, I mean, it is mm-hmm. true what you say when I think back on it, you know, as part of the boomers, you know, we wanted to get out. We wanted to be mm-hmm. as independent as possible. It, it just seems to me that that is not the case anymore, that it doesn't no, bother, no. and I'm not trying to put a value judgment on it, no, but it doesn't seem to bother this value. generation. Independence, independence has a different meaning to boomers' kids than it had to boomers because they have felt independent, and we've, again, put so much emphasis on their feelings. They felt independent in ways that we never did. They felt independent enough to tell us when we pissed them off. Um, you know, particularly boys, but women much more so um, than they did. And they've sort of had had a virtual independence, but not an actual one. It's just not that important. It's the same way that, you know, an increasing number of young adults don't bother driving cars anymore. Um, you know, a lot of their values and their meanings have changed. And so, in a way, we've allowed that to happen because to the extent that we're able, we want to help them get a good start in the world. And so if we're supporting an endeavor that we think is going to get them there, like further schooling or even just a place to recover for a while from a bad divorce and get some training for a new job, or whatever, if we think that the help we're giving them 
is going to serve the purpose of improving their lives, we're more willing and able to give it, whether it's financial or logistical, whether it's a place to live or money um, to go back to school to supplement what you're doing or co-signing a loan to get a house, those kinds of things. You know, but Jane, I see the others... While they're living in the basement doing nothing, we're going to feel a lot less good about it. Right, and that's the situation sometimes I often hear about, which is... You know, I I can't do anymore. You know, the demands are getting greater and greater, and it's now impacting my life, and I just can't seem to do anymore. And, you know, and yet my child thinks that I should. He's entitled to it, and and I should just have to continue. Well, that's a question about um, communication and boundaries. And if you are firm with your kid about, this is where I am, this is what I want to do, this is what I will do, this is what I can no longer do. Um, And that kid says, well, screw you, and walks away and doesn't contact you and doesn't call you. That's that child's problem. That's not really your problem. All you can do is say, I love you, I care about you, and you need to start taking care of yourself. And here's, here's my timetable. In X number of months, you need to move out or find a job or find a roommate or whatever. And let's hope it doesn't get down to that, but you've got three months. Um, And you, if they won't give you anything more clear, you have to set the boundaries and stick to them. The fact is that very few young adult kids are going to end up sleeping in the street um, or homeless or under the bridge if they are possessed of, uh, you know, reasonably good presentation or appearance, qualifications for a job, um, and reasonable expectations for what they can, you know, get. Jane, we've talked a lot about, you know, how the relationship between the adult child and the parent and how it impacts both of them. But in your research, do you see these problems uh, impacting marriages? Because Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. A a problem-grown kid takes up more oxygen in a marriage than anything else. And You know, I'm a post-parent coach. I deal with the parents of grown kids where there are issues. And the more issues the kids have, the more oxygen they take up in the marriage. And... Um, and I have a whole bunch of cognitive tools to keep that from happening that I offer my clients. Like, for instance, setting aside a half an hour a day when you and your spouse are going to talk about the issue with your kid and then not talking about it any other time. Um, th- that's a real think, simple thing. Yeah, but, I think it's a, it's a great suggestion. And doing it outside of the house, going for a walk together having a glass of wine and saying, okay, we got a half an hour to bitch and moan and strategize about how we're going to get Timmy out of the house and how we're going to deal with it in the meantime. Let's do it. And then let's go on to something else. 
Jane, you're a woman after my own heart because very often <laughs> I suggest to um, couples that they have these kinds of discussions in a restaurant or in some other public place because then people tend to get less emotional. They're not screaming. They're not pushing away from the table. There is something about being in public that makes people contain their behavior. Um, well, and the other, so, the other and, reason for getting out of the house is what a therapist once told me was, and I'm going to use a bad word here, when you clean out shit in a room, it <laughs> always smells like a dirty room. So get it out of your house. Get it out of your bedroom. Get it somewhere where fresh air can hit it or restaurant air and a glass of wine. <laughs> and uh, really, you know. really stick to not talking about it the rest of the time. Rarely, I mean, clearly, if there's an emergency in the middle of the night, you're going to have to talk about it if an emergent situation comes up. But otherwise, limit it to that. And All right. find ways to deal. What I tell them is, you can't change your kid. The only thing you can change is your relationship and your attitude towards your kid. You can't, it's very hard to motivate an unmotivated young adult. And um, we're really afraid that if we're too strict with them, and we keep our boundaries too tight, they'll disappear from our lives. Well, believe me, they'll be back. And you're just going to have to live through it. You know, this is a sort of modified version of tough love. Now, if you have a kid with an addiction problem or a depression problem or a dependence problem, then you have some other options. Again, is getting some help to change your attitude toward them, doing what you can do, and are prepared to do to help, and then getting on with your own life. You We're have gonna, to let go of their problems because you can't solve them. Right. We're going to take a quick break. Solve their problems. Okay. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be, we will be getting um, to those issues of depression and substance abuse and even alcoholism, Um, but we're also going to be discussing some very common feelings that we all have, such as guilt, and I'm going to ask Jane what she means when she refers to a parental emergency. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. 
The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We're here with Dr. Jane Adams, who has already had just really, really good advice for us. She is the author of many books, including When Our Grown Kids Disappoint Us, Letting Go of Their Problems, Loving Them Anyway, and Getting On With Their Lives, and other books such as I'm Still Your Mother, How to Get Along with Your Grown-Up Children for the Rest of Your Life. Welcome back. Jane, before the break, I was um, asking about what is a parental emergency? Well, a parental emergency usually uh, involves a contact from the police, from a legal authority, or uh, a medical authority. You know, your kid is in jail or in the hospital, um, in an accident, or overdosed, or hasn't been seen for a while, um, roommates worried, those kinds of things. Those are parental emergencies. Or a child comes home... Um, weeping and unable to cope, or you get a call from uh, the child's college saying, you know, he's having really significant emotional issues, you need to come take him home. Those are parental emergencies. And so what is your advice for responding to and handling those situations, especially let's say you haven't seen your child or spoken to your child for a, a good block of time? Well, if you're getting... Um, if you're getting a call that the child hasn't been seen or heard from or shown up, then you need to coordinate with um, the uh, legal authorities, with school authorities, even if you haven't seen them, and you can say when was the last time you heard was, and, um, you know, that's all, those are all legal things. How you respond to them is essentially to let the civil authorities do their work and see what happens. If it's medical, you'll want to talk to whoever's in charge of their case and see how uh, emergent it is, if you should get there immediately, if, you know, exactly what the situation is. Um, You have to assess the situation first and then decide what action is appropriate 
and what you can take, do and kind of do it until you have a chance to take a deep breath and think about how you feel about it, you know? I think it's, though, uh, often a crisis time where parents don't come together. Um, and you have one parent saying, I've had enough of it. I don't want to tolerate this behavior anymore. You know, just let him stay in jail. It'll it'll be better for him. Uh, or I'm not going to the rehab center again for the third time. Um, Got it. I've and, heard that a lot. I've heard that uh, a lot. And it's it's a major cause of dissension between parents, often in, men, in most cases that I hear from my clients, um, it's the father who's had enough and the mother who wants to give them one more chance. And the parents have to decide together how they're going to handle that because maritally, legally, their assets, whether it's their home or their bank accounts or whatever, are joint assets. You as the wife can't just decide to take X thousand dollars out of the um, checking account and give it to a rehab center or a lawyer. You really have to have an come to agreement about that. And often it takes a third party to help you decide what's appropriate for your child, how much help is the right, and what's the right kind of help to offer. And if you can do no more, what you can offer in its stead. Just, you know, I love you, darling. I hope you solved this problem. I can't help. It's out of my hands now. Actually, until until you said that, I had never really thought about the um, financial consequences of one parent taking a very large amount of money because in rehab especially, you know, we are talking about a large amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And if you don't have agreement, if you don't come to a compromise agreement with your spouse about it, um, that's going to cause a huge wrench in your marriage. And it's going to triangulate the relationship between you and your child and your spouse. And a perfectly legitimate reason for not doing anymore is to say to your spouse, You know, Dad and I have talked this over. We have a limited amount of resources for ourselves, and we've bailed you out a lot, and we're not going to do it this time. Here are some other options, a public defender or whatever, you know. I think, though, what happens is, Jane, I mean, we want... We want our children to be happy. We want them to feel fulfilled. And then when they're not, we just we just rack our brains trying to figure out what did I do wrong? You know, why why did this happen? Maybe I should have done this instead of done that. You know, where did I go wrong? Well, um, you know, there probably there we all went wrong a lot of different places. And one of the distinctions I make in I'm Still Your Mother, uh, an earlier book, is the difference between Um, guilt and regret. And regret is, I'm sorry I didn't do whatever it was. Give them a religious education, draw more lines when they were younger, let her go to whatever. And guilt is, I feel so bad I'm eating myself alive with it because I did it and it's all my fault. Regret is just, gee, if I'd known then what I know now, I might have acted differently, but I didn't. And sometimes it's necessary to express that regret to your grown kids and let go of it. That's the way you keep from getting guilty about it. Because guilt is really a neurotic overreaction often to things that you couldn't have avoided 
in the first place. We all, as parents, did the best we could knowing what we know, knew then, and given our circumstances at the time. You know, I look back at my grown kids and their kids, and I see lots of things I wish I'd done differently. Um, but I can't. And they're grown-ups, and they have a right to live their own lives. And if they're not living them according to my standards, that's my problem, not theirs. So, so the getting other- ownership of the problems is really important. And one of the things about continuing to bail out a kid with addiction or significant legal or mental health problems um, is that, you know, it was never our job to make them happy. And it isn't now. We can't make them happy. Only they can make them happy. You know, that's the basic misunderstanding of parents, that it's our job to make our kids happy. Wanting them to be happy versus taking responsibility for their happiness. We can't. So let's talk about our happiness for just a minute, because one of the things we were discussing over the break is that when there are problems with adult children, or if they're living a life and they're fine, but we're disappointed um, in their choices, whether it be, you know, a mate or sexual orientation, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, right that we tend to isolate ourselves because we don't want to be in a situation where someone says, oh, hi, how you doing? How are the kids? What are they doing these days? And, and so we tend to isolate ourselves, which is not good. Well, we tend to isolate ourselves depending on what the nature of the problem is. If our kids are addicted, dependent, depressed, living in a cult, um, you know, living completely off the whatever, uh, doing something that society, then we tend not to talk about it. We talk about the kid who's doing just fine instead. Um, we're all kind of alone with those issues because by the time our kids are grown, we assume that the way they've turned out to be is a product entirely of our parenting. It's like if a factory turns out a bad product. It's a product of the factory. Well, we're not wholly responsible for who our kids are. And we're definitely not responsible for um, the choices they make as adults, regardless of whether or not we approve of them. You know, there are things that we absolutely can't influence and never could. Sexual orientation is one of those. Um, to an extent, some kinds of uh, mental health issues are not something that we can do anything about. I mean, that, that we cause schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, um, those things. They're not things that we cause. We have no need to feel guilty about that. Um, the lifestyle that they're choosing may not be to our liking. But, you know, they're adults with a right to make their own choices. And even if we think those are the wrong choices and that they won't ultimately make our kids happy, we have to let go of our expectations for them and let them dream their own dreams for themselves. I think the other issue that complicates things is when you have more than one child 
and let's say you have three and two of the children are doing just what you kind of expected them to do but this third child you know is the one that's disappointing you and and then I hear parents you know saying to themselves well you know what did I do wrong with this one child you know he's so different than the rest of the family oh, they're a whole you know they're a whole different set of DNA and you know every uh, every pair of siblings has different parents we're different with child one than we are with child two or child three that's some of it but really we don't have anything to do with it for one reason or another that one kid is just not on the path the others are on and how you deal with it depends on how much it impacts your life if he's just or she's just you know flipping burgers for bozos and doing a bunch of short term jobs that don't seem to lead anywhere but they're living on their own um, you know, there's nothing you can say. When they want more, they'll get more. If they need help, say they want to go back to school, they'll ask for it, and you can make a decision then. But your dissatisfaction with the way they're living is only important to the extent that it impacts your daily life and your relationship with your husband and your career and the rest of your life. And you can't triangulate and ask the other kids to intercede Say to your daughter, for instance, I wish you'd tell Bob that it's time to get off his ass and find a girlfriend or a decent job. Because it's, you know, they have their own relationships with each other. And you can't triangulate them. And you can't express your dissatisfaction with their choices um, to anybody except yourself. And if you want to talk to other parents, I mean, if they're the deep disappointments, I've got a kid who's in jail, I've got a kid who's... Uh, on drugs, I've got a kid who's been in and out of treatment. Um, those are hard to talk about, but, you know, being open and honest about it is the best way to find out that everybody's dealing with those things. And it's not a reflection on you. It's just, hmm, my kid's going through a really hard time right now, and I don't, you know, know what to do about it, or I'm trying to get through as best as I can. It's like, you know. When we uh, return, we're going to be talking just a little bit about the rising rate of depression and substance abuse uh, among young adults. But we're going to be spending a lot more time talking about the relationships with grandparents and what we call intergenerational relationships. Stay with us. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We've been talking to Dr. Jane Adams, who is a social psychologist, about what to do with children who are difficult or who disappoint us and how do we set boundaries and how do we help them become independent. And I want to talk, before we move into intergenerational issues, Dr. Adams, I want to talk about one of the statistics in your book, which is that the rate of suicide, alcoholism, eating disorders, and depression among young adults over 21 has tripled, tripled in the last 20 years. Why is that, do you think? Well, um, I don't know whether it's, again, what we're paying attention to. Certainly, um, Eating disorders have been around for years and years, and suicide is a phenomenon of late, you know, early young adulthood, teenage and later, and there's a kind of contagious effect when there's a number of them. Depression is a pretty common diagnosis. Um, we tend to overdiagnose depression not according to its clinical um uh, you know, people are clinically depressed if they meet a number of symptoms, and if they do, uh, the obvious remedy is um, help from a mental health expert, sometimes medication. When we see it in our kids, however, um, it often just is not depression, but it's, uh, it's unhappiness masquerading as depression. So if your child can't get out of bed, has no interest in his or her surroundings, um, has lost or gained a great deal of weight. I mean, you know the symptoms. You can look them up on the web. If all of those seem to like symptoms of clinical depression to you, um, you can have a talk with your child and ask them if they would see a doctor and say that you want to offer help and you're not sure what else to do. Um, and see if you can get them to accept some mental health counseling. Tying it to an insistence that they get out of the house and move their ass and find a job and live, a, you know, and live more independently, if it's true depression, isn't going to do any good. And essentially, all you can do is to urge them to get mental health and to be as, uh, to find a mental health support group for you. Uh, friends and family of the mentally ill is a very good one. Addiction is slightly different. If you are convinced that your child has an addiction substance abuse problem, again, you have to talk to them about it and see what their take on it is. If they admit that, yes, they do have, you say, let's talk about what kind of help is available and what, you know, you can do and we can do to help you. 
Um, but say you've got a kid who's already been through a couple of rehabs and keeps relapsing and keeps coming back, again, very little you can do except go to as many meetings of uh, Narcotics Anonymous as you can and do what people like you are doing, which is setting boundaries at home about you may not use in my house, you may not be here when you're loaded, um, you may not keep drugs in your house, I don't want to have anything to do with you when you're loaded, um, and reach out to them on those times in between. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the role of grandparents. So okay, that's much more fun. I'm sorry. It, <laughs> it just that's don't, much more fun unless, unless, of course, you are the, the grandchild, uh, you have the grandparent of someone whose mother or father is significantly impaired, in jail, addicted, unable to care for them. You know, an increasing number of grandparents these days are bringing up their grandchildren because their own kids are unable to do so. Yeah, and I guess I was suddenly, as I was listening to you, thinking about another kind of a situation. So if I'm a grandmother, so let's just assume for right now that my um, adult child is having the kinds of problems we've been talking about with actually one of his own children. Okay, with one of my grandchildren, uh-huh. how do I support and um, assist um, my adult child who's having a problem with his own adult child? Ah, uh, well, I think that just offering moral and emotional support and saying, "Darling, I know it's not your fault. Um, you were a good parent. You did the best you could given what you knew and who you were at that point." So let's stop feeling guilty and see what we can do, what you can do, if anything, to help your adult child. And then do the kinds of things we've talked about. Suggest a support group. Uh, Make it clear that you're not judging. Um, And ask what you can do to help your grandchild. Now, if you say you're the parent of somebody who's got a kid who's 20, or 22, and not, and sort of lost, and your daughter or your son is very upset about it. Well, you can reach out to an adult grandchild yourself. I had my adult grandson at 21 or 22 after he left the military, lived with me for six months. And it was really um, an exercise in getting to know him. Uh, in a way, he saved my life during a health crisis by taking me to the hospital and I wouldn't have gone and I was on the operating table an hour later. Um, ultimately, he decided that he didn't want to go to school, which was part of our deal for his living here. He wanted to be more independent and get a full-time job and move out, so he did. But, you know, I gave him a place to be without much judgment. I set some boundaries He lived with them, and it gave his parents a respite, knowing that somebody who loved him was giving him a home because they just didn't get along. So what? Let's 
so let's talk yeah. about what happens in your experience when you have three generations in the home. So an adult child, let's say, is divorced and as, or their own spouse has died, which I'm hearing yeah. more about. And now they've returned home uh, with their own children. Now you have three generations, sometimes four generations, living under a roof. Yeah. And maybe if you're still caught in the sandwich generation, your own parent is living there. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to take care of a very elderly um, parent, an adult child, and then a grandchild of some age, or their spouses and their spouses. Wow. Well, I'd say run away from home if I were you. <laughs> you probably can't do that. However, actually, I actually however, I would say drink a milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> however. There are, you know, there are ways to live intergenerationally when you consider that it's living interdependently, which means you should all be able to count on each other for some support from each according to his ability to each according to his need, you know. Um, Your elderly mother needs to be driven somewhere and you've got a million things to do plus a job where there's no reason your adult kid or your grandchild, who's old enough for a license, can't do it. You know, you do things to support each other, and you try to run your household as efficiently as you can, particularly when you have, let's say, two and a half adults, you and your grown child and maybe an elderly parent or maybe a teenage grandchild. Everybody can do chores. Everybody can help. But one of the things you can't do is to interfere with how your grown child is raising their child. Even if you see them doing completely the wrong thing. What do you mean you're letting your kid eat sugar so close to bedtime? He's going to be up all night. What do you mean you're letting her go out dressed like that? You shouldn't yell at your kids. I never yelled at you. You know, all of those things. You got to butt out. You had your chance raising them. They need to raise theirs. And the fact is, unless you see a child in grave danger, but out. Yeah, my I've said this before. My sister-in-law always says, as an in-law, just uh, keep your mouth shut and your pocketbook open. That's her saying That's right. about it. That's right. And I wouldn't leave the pocketbook too open. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard not to take sides. If you've got a child and a child's spouse living in your house... They're probably not thrilled about being there either, and there's probably friction between them. That's the time to go to a movie. Stay out of it. <laughs> don't let yourself don't let yourself be triangulated between their relationship with each other or with their children. I think, though, I see some situations where, you know, an in-law, it child, adult child, is is sometimes talking to you know, in effect, the grandparent. Um, and I, I think not realizing what they're doing. So, you know, for much younger couples, you know, it's an issue of, you know, you uh, make sure that when you put the baby in the crib that, you know, she's on her back and, you know, we don't do it's It's the we don't yeah, do it this yeah. way anymore conversation. Okay. Right. Well, I think the things like where you put them these days, there's so much controversy about that, that it's important to say to your kids when you are caring for their children, what are your rules? What shouldn't I do? And to respect them. But ask what they are so you know. 
I think that's like, true. I, I mean, I, I warned I, my mother. I warned my mother if she ever mentioned the word fat or weight or calories to my daughter, she would never see her again. And a couple of times, we had some estrangements around that. Isn't that interesting? I just heard that story, actually, from someone else who was talking about that their mother was so obsessed uh, with their weight. And 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 and, their children's weight, yes. And their children's weight, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, even though I really don't want to take a quick break. Um, (laughs) And when we come back, we're going to be talking about detachment as a key to survival. And then Uh, Jane also is going to share with us some really great techniques she told me on the break um, about how to handle that, those detachments that I think are very unusual and really unique um, and will work. So I think you're going to want to stay tuned and listen to this. Stay with us. life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations, and we're continuing with Dr. Jane Adams. Jane, um, in your book, you discuss detachment as one of the keys to survival. I, I, I mean, how do you do that? It's so hard. It's very hard, um, you know, particularly when you have a situation that you can't do anything about. You know, you have, say, a schizophrenic child living on the streets, um, and you think about them under a bridge, and you worry all the time. I mean, how can you live with that? I know I have a client who does. Um, There are techniques to detach that I try to teach my clients, and the first emotional detachment um, is recognizing that um, your kids are their own people with their own problems, and that you can let go of their problems without letting go of them in your heart, if not 
actually. Um, allowing them to be adults and make their own choices is really, really hard, especially if we don't approve of those choices. But all we can change is our relationship to them. We can't change them. They are who they are, and they're going to make their mistakes, and they're going to fall in their manholes, and all we can do is be there with open arms to pick them up and help them get back on their feet if they ask for it, not if they don't. So at a certain level, detachment um, is an ongoing process that is often interrupted by obsessive thoughts. You wake up in the morning or go to sleep at night and you can't stop thinking about your kid's problems or your kid. Uh, It's poisoning your marriage. It's using up all the oxygen because it's all you think about or talk about. Um, Your friends are tired of hearing from you if you do talk about it. Um, or there's nobody you can talk to about it, and you're all locked up with it. Well, practicing detachment is like practicing unmindfulness and doing yoga breathing and letting the thoughts go away, just watching them, the breath go in and out. There are those obvious techniques. Um, before you get to those and before you get to uh, medication, which may be necessary to calm your anxieties, Um, I have a bunch of cognitive behavioral techniques that I teach my clients. And one of them is I'm probably more responsible for the sale of rubber bands than anybody in the country. (laughs) Because I tell my clients to go out and get rubber bands and put them on their wrists and interrupt their obsessive thinking by snapping their wrists with a rubber band. And you may have to do it a half a dozen times. But once you find yourself falling into those thought patterns about their problems snap the wrists. Another is to try to consciously replace the image of them and the trouble they're in now with a happier image from childhood. Whether it's the first minute they looked up at you and like you hung the moon or whatever. A third is to take your feelings, your frustration, your anger, your worry, your disappointment and do something physical with those feelings. Um, There's an old gestalt technique about taking a tennis racket and an old pillow racket and beating the hell out of the pillow until your anger is just, or your feelings are just drained out of you. I often tell clients who don't do that to get a mortar and pestle and take something really hard, um, like a hard nut, and reduce it to dust and then rinse it out and throw it in the garbage. Or the Jews have a wonderful uh, uh, custom of taking their sins and tearing them into little pieces of bread and tossing them in the water. You can do that. But I always think it's important to have a physical, kinesthetic way of dealing with your feelings that allows you not to repress them, to feel them fully, and then let go of them. Because they're not going to do you any good. They're destructive emotions. You know, Jane, I hadn't thought about this for years until you said that, but um, I have a friend who's a therapist who works actually with Vietnam veterans um, who need to get rid and rid themselves of certain feelings and obsessive thoughts that they have. And I'm not suggesting anyone do it in quite this way, but what they do is they end up writing it all down and they journal it and journal it and then they talk about it. And then they have a ceremony at the end of this six-week sessions that he does with them where they have a garbage can, a metal garbage can, and he begins actually, 
a fire in it, and then they all yeah. throw yeah. that into yeah. the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, I think with uh, with negative obsessive thoughts, uh, that can be a form of obsession and compulsion, and it can yield to some kind of medication. But I would say some of the cognitive behavioral techniques I teach my clients and um, meditation, mindful meditation, um, that those are better ways to deal with them. You know, we all have sad, frustrated, unhappy feelings, but we have those feelings. We are not those feelings. If you have them, you can do something with them. If you are them, you can't. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It 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 really does. Um, so, Jane, this is you have given us just lots of great advice. Can can you you tell us how we would contact you and and buy your books? And do you have sure, a blog? Sure, sure. I do have a blog. It's on my website, which is www.janeadams.com. Um, there's an info uh, click on that, so letters sent to that will reach me. And there's a number to call if you want post-parent coaching. I offer um, an introductory section, session, one hour, one time, $100, payable by PayPal. And then I offer an ongoing uh, coaching relationship with a lot of parents of young adults who um, don't need a therapist. They need somebody to give them direction, who understands where they've been, and coaches them on how to change and improve the relationship with their grown kids. Um, and I'd be glad to talk to anybody who wants to. There's a phone number on that website that you can reach me at, and you can buy my books on Amazon. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Jane Adams. And I would certainly encourage um, anyone who who needs that third party and wants that third party to help them through on their next steps, certainly contact Dr. Adams. Thank you so much. It, you've given us thank great you, advice. Ma'am. Thank you. I love talking to you. Call me again. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My takeaway today is um, about that I I really feel so deeply troubled and and really such sorrow that so many of us are just not able to walk off into the sunset, really, as happy and fulfilled post-parents. And so although many of us may not be helicopter parents, I'm not saying that. I'm beginning to think that as parents, we really do have blurred boundaries with our adult children. So their problems become our problems. Their discontent with a job becomes our discontent, and it just goes on and on. And what I'm going to propose to you is that, you know, maybe it's time to stop, all right? Think about this. Begin to have this discussion with your spouse or your significant other or your best friend. Think about how this is impacting your life and how it's also impacting your relationship with your adult child. I mean, here's a switch. I want you to think about this for a minute, that maybe your unhappiness is their responsibility. You know, it's not that their unhappiness is your responsibility. Maybe they're responsible for making you unhappy. And and think about that as a, as a switch for just a moment. However, I think it's just really important. I always ask you to do at least one small thing for yourself every week. As a caregiver, you need to do that. And I think this week you need to think through those relationships and how it's really impacting your life. I hope you join us 
tomorrow for more comments on Facebook Live. Uh, we usually do it on Friday mornings at about 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. I'd love for you to com- continue to share your thoughts and comments with me through Facebook or at Dr. Merrill at Caught Between Generations. And if you could help us by posting a review, I really, really would appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. I, it really means a lot to me. And, and remember, you really are a very special person to so many people in your life. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week. 